Hello, this is Lucia. Welcome to Race Reflections at Work, the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. In this episode, we will discuss the challenges that we may find during a change process in an organization and accountability in anti-oppressive work. So there are many different perspectives from which we can consider these subjects, but today I'd like to reflect on them from more of a psychological and emotional perspective. And some of the things have come out of training that I've done for race reflections and a lot of questions that I tend to get repeatedly from participants. So as always, to send us your queries, questions and dilemmas, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk. So one of the things I've come to realize from speaking to groups or delivering training to groups First of all, I'm usually asked for more guidance to give a lot more detail of how to apply things. And with that usually comes a bit of a sensation of fear, anxiety, or even sometimes hopelessness, that things seem fine when presented in theory like that, but that don't work smoothly in practice, in organizations. And I get a lot of people feeling inadequate for this work, I'm talking about people that, you know, want to do this work, obviously, they're feeling lost or stuck in some sort of way. And one of the things that I always try to make clear is that there are going to be challenges. It is going to be a difficult process of change, more so than perhaps other types of changes when we're dealing with injustice, social justice, in nine-time racism, for example. And we're going to encounter resistances when trying to bring about any sort of organizational or community change especially, as I said, something like this, which is actually a cultural change. And cultural change is obviously needed to address issues of inequality and injustice. I guess the first thing to remember is this sort of movement and change towards an anti-oppressive, anti-racist way of working and being is actually counter-cultural. So it does go against what we've learned, all the messages our culture vehiculates, goes against our systems and how our structures are built. It goes against current structures of power. And it is about making visible what's been invisibilized historically, as well as decentering from what is normally centered. So just to give you an example, perspectives and feelings and needs of white people or other dominant groups. So in that way, and because of all of this, the process of change will bring challenges and they would usually be both internal and external challenges and resistances. Resistance of an emotional kind from others and sometimes even ourselves can be translated into different types of behavior, for example, aggression shutting down conversations or silencing people, scapegoating, exclusion, 
or self-victimization sometimes. Because of this, for everyone involved in this process, awareness of the emotional processes and the power dynamics that are at work in these situations, as well as a certain skill, a certain knowledge of how to regulate all of these emotional changes are key when learning how to manage difficult conversations and whatever tensions may arise, and to be able to continue in this process in a more sustainable way. It may help as well to be aware of this and also expect this to happen. So expect the process to become difficult at some points. Expect challenges and resistances to come from either other people, other groups, or ourselves. And when we expect something to happen, and then it does happen, we are ready to address it, instead of becoming sad, shocked, or hopeless even sometimes, in face of these challenges. Obviously, for all of this, centering self-care, establishing clear boundaries with ourselves in regards to our time, work-life balance, our energy levels, and also with others, So boundaries in regards to what we accept or not from others, how much work we take on or in relationships. And this is true for everyone, especially people that are targeted by racism as a way of self-care and self-protection, self-preservation. And this is an essential part of making this work sustainable and managing as much as possible potential harm that may come. So if building tolerance for things like resistance, ambivalence that we can encounter, or setbacks, expecting these things to happen at some point during the process. And with that, managing you know, the demoralization that we can feel in those moments. So if all these things are then seen as a normal part of the process instead of failure or a setback or a horrible thing that's happened, then it is also easier to address them in a compassionate way. I'm talking about compassion with both ourselves and with others, obviously others that show commitment to the work and that show the will and the energy to learn from these processes and grow. This type of organizational community change is obviously something done and that's why I'm speaking about these things in a group of people through finding like-minded people that want to do the same work and building community and that really helps organizing and establishing networks within organizations or communities that we want to influence that we want to change and shape does help combat that sense of isolation that we might sometimes feel from being anti-oppressive from trying to do anti-racism work. It helps also build support systems for everyone involved and shape stronger actions that can be more impactful responses to organizational, institutional or structural oppression because it comes from groups and not from individuals. A group of committed individuals will also be able to demand commitment and hold accountable more leaders and other organizations more effectively. Obviously, building community and working in groups, it's all ongoing all the time. It depends on dialogues and tensions will be present at times. That also means that emotional work 
and emotional regulation will be constant for anyone involved in working in this way. There might be moments which will be more challenging for some. For example, and something I've encountered a few times, more than I was expecting actually at first, people feeling deeply challenged when they're confronted to certain terms in anti-racism. For example, the term whiteness. And I'm talking about people that are very convinced that this work is very important and they really want to participate in it. But there's usually resistance from some people to that term, whiteness, when it comes up. And it gets people into a bit of a defensive position. And surprisingly, not only white people react in this way, actually. So I'm thinking, you know, confronted to terms that are interpreted in certain ways, like pointing out certain groups or when people might be feeling attacked, real or imagined attack, or terms that might just spark a sense of guilt or shame, for example. How do we deal with people that are committed to work and are reacting in this way and ourselves, if that happens to us, how do we deal with that? So that's when we start talking and that brings me to the issue of accountability within work, holding ourselves and others accountable when challenges come up during a change process. So how, when we are working for social justice and for the transformation of our systems, how do we keep ourselves and others accountable in a way that promotes actually self-reflection, growth and change instead of just being tension and ways of dialoguing that may feel criticizing as well? So I don't obviously have a clear guide for this, as in a step-by-step -step guide. It will depend a lot on the organization, the group, the team, and power relations within that team as well. Now, why don't we start examining accountability as a concept, what it means, uh, what it requires. So as a definition that we can give to this concept, accountability, we can say it's an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. And I may add, an effective accountability system allows for redress and readjustments needed to address a discriminatory situation. And that's how it is different from blaming and punishment. And it requires open communication and dialogue to create the opportunity to repair, to understand the harm that's been done and repair the harm that's been done, if possible. Even when we are committed to positive change, we're all human, we all remain capable of making mistakes, or in moments of stress, anxiety or anger reacting in ways that are maybe contrary to our own values. And that's important to remember. To develop the capacity to recognize our behavior in those moments, especially its impact on others, and separate that from our initial intention is really important as well. And that's perhaps the first step in this process. We can then reflect on ways to repair the harm done or to ensure that we learn from it and we will act differently next time. So again, as I said in the beginning, being aware of our capacity to make mistakes and doing harm sometimes and not only be aware of it, but expecting it 
expecting it to happen at, at some point greatly helps us in our capacity to be self-compassioned with ourselves and others if we take that as a normal part of the process. So what's important is what we do with that afterwards and not to actually imagine or try to be perfect all the time because that's just impossible. Accountability is often then a, a matter of reflexivity. So that's a skill that we can practice emotional regulation and communication skills. It forces us to directly confront ours and others' mistakes, failures and potential to do harm in order to learn from that, which is not always easy. So it has a distinct difference with what usually happens in different organizational cultures or team cultures which is heavily focused on blame and punishment or retaliation. So to give you just a little quick overview of the difference between blame and accountability cultures, just as an example, blame and punishment, our perspectives would always try and find fault in someone. Who is to blame? So something happened, who did it, who's at fault and who has to pay and how? we're going to make that person pay. Whereas accountability, so there's a problem, even the same problem, the same incident. We're trying to understand what happened here. So not necessarily who is at fault, but what happened and understand that and, and understand how the team, the group, the system is enabling this sort of behavior, encouraging sometimes this sort of behavior or increasing the likelihood of this th sort of thing happening. The solution or the outcome ideally is not necessarily punishment, although the person might have to find a way to repair the harm done. But the outcome, the ideal outcome in an accountability system would be what do we as a group, as a team, as an organization need to change to, if possible, help repair this, but also for these sort of things not to happen again. The result of this within a team culture or uh, institutional culture is that there's a lot more openness because people are not at risk of being punished or being excluded because a mistake they're made. So there's a lot more incentive to dialogue and for a person to own up to their mistakes instead of trying to cover them up, to split that part of them that may do harm and to project it onto someone else. Instead of that, People are encouraged to own those parts of themselves that may not be the best parts of themselves, parts that are at risk of doing harm to others, and work on them and learn. So the outcome overall is change and growth for the person, hopefully repair for the target, and also change and growth for the team or the organization. Obviously, we can consider this sort of blame culture or punishment and retaliation culture stemming from white supremacy and this culture of whiteness that we live in, right? One of the factors from white supremacy that helps this or actually fosters this sort of perspective, this sort of attitude of trying to punish, trying to blame is individualism. So we see bigger issues and team dynamics, group dynamics as an individual personal issue and 
we put the full responsibility on an individual. Obviously, individual is not the point of taking agency and responsibility away from people, but also seeing how we are as humans, community creatures and, and seeing things a bit more collectively. So stepping away from a purely individualistic way of seeing things and trying to manage and have an understanding of how collectivities work and how processes in groups tend to happen and placing responsibility also on other members of the community. So that's one, individualism is, is one of those things. The other thing I think is really important to notice within these change processes and challenges that we can encounter that actually directly comes from whiteness, whiteness culture and white supremacy is the search or striving for some sort of ideal purity, moral purity or perfectionism. Just the idea that it's actually possible, it's, it's absolute nonsense. But we do live in a society where there's this image, this performativity and also this need to split from the parts of ourselves and the parts of our team even that may not be the good parts, you know, the shadow parts, the parts that may be a bit more shameful to acknowledge. We all, as psychological beings, have these core need of seeing ourselves and our loved ones as good people. And the issue with whiteness and a white supremacist culture is that it conflates mistakes and this sort of behavior or harm with being a bad person. So we see then the binary, again, binary thinking that separates completely good and bad. If we are bad because we make mistakes, then we cannot be good people. So the outcome of that is trying to split off that, trying to project that, not accepting that we can make mistakes. And I usually, what I do is just invite people to reflect on that, to feel what they feel when they think about their own shadow part, their own potential to also reproduce oppressive dynamics and harm other people at times. And to reflect on their binary way of thinking and to incorporate the potential for making mistakes into their image of what is good, being a good person. So I would say those are the main things to consider when talking about dealing with tensions in this process of change and accountability especially. So what in our culture actually is a challenge for that sort of work, for that sort of thinking, individualism, binary thoughts, separation between good and bad, the ideals of moral purity. And all those three things really don't allow us to be fully human and accept ours and others' full humanity with the good and the bad and try and still hold a relationship with them when they're committed to good things and build community. So these were my thoughts on creating a culture of accountability in order to address some of the challenges we can find in ourselves and with others during a change process towards trying to make a team or an organization more anti-oppressive in its practices and at its core, or the culture of an organization and changing it into an anti-racist culture.
So we have reflected today a little bit on the idea of change processes and accountability. And if you're finding this relevant to your situation, I'd like to invite you to take these reflections with you to work and to examine you know, what is being done, what needs change, and most importantly, how you can find support around you as well in this work if you encounter oppressive dynamics. I hope this episode has been useful for you in your reflections and that you will continue to think with us on topics of inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. Please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This has been Lucia from Race Reflections. Take good care of yourself. Goodbye.